Despite the U.S. government's role in purchasing and allocating doses of COVID-19 vaccines, the success of the vaccine rollout depends heavily on healthcare organizations in the private sector. To be speedy and equitable, those organizations have to build trust, manage operations well, communicate effectively, and collaborate with other public and private entities. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Thomas Lee, a cardiologist and primary care physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Chief Medical Officer of Press Ganey. He's also a member of the journal's editorial board. Dr. Lee has co-authored a perspective article about COVID-19 vaccination efforts, including last-mile logistics. Dr. Lee, to start, what do we know today about the success of the vaccine rollout in the United States? Well, I think the word success hasn't been used in the same sentence as vaccine rollouts a whole lot. But I do think it's fair to say it's off to a bumpy start. It's getting better, but it's got a long way to go. And we are all learning a lot from the process. What are the features of the U.S. healthcare system that make it necessary for individual organizations to be so heavily involved? Well, I think around the world, healthcare providers have struggled to figure out how to be involved. To a certain extent, they can't escape being involved because patients turn to them. I mean, I am uh, part-time as a primary care physician, but I am spending about an hour a day communicating with patients with questions about vaccines. They are going to ask their doctors, they're going to ask their hospitals, how can I get vaccinated? So there's no way that they can escape being involved. Now, the fact of the matter is, there's a reason they should be involved, because, and that is about trust. There is nervousness about vaccines developed so rapidly under a program with the name Warp Speed. And I think that we all know that there are profound gaps in trust experienced by minorities in general, Blacks in particular. The data show that Blacks in particular have less trust in everything compared to uh, white patients, but they have more trust in their caregivers than in almost anything else, you know, much more trust in government. So that if their caregivers aren't actually advocating and even giving the vaccine, it's very tough to expect minorities and especially Blacks to be making their way through the state government systems that are being patched together around the country. So given how challenging that work is for the frontline clinicians, What strategies have healthcare organizations adopted to support them? Well, there's actually a lot of very good creative work going on. And one reason is the healthcare systems had about a month of practicing with their own employees before they started turning to the general public, because there are plenty of workers in the healthcare force who also have their suspicions and and particularly, you know, minorities. So they began to figure out some logistical challenges, but also the trust building steps. And I would say that they fall into a couple major areas. First, really good communication. So in the perspective piece, I refer to Hartford Healthcare's very good interactive communications tool for the general public on the web. And the goal was not just to send out information once and have it be there as a resource, but to try to get people to come back over and over again so they would get used to 
the organization and that website as a place where they can get their questions answered. They can trust that organization to tell them what they need to know. And another key intervention with being transparent about the issues that matter. People want precision. They like knowing how many doses of vaccine do we have in the same way that workers like to know how much PPE do we really have. But then there's like really brilliant social media stuff going on. Bay State Healthcare System in Springfield, Massachusetts, they have all these little videos and bilingual Spanish versions of that song from Hamilton, I Got My Shot, I'm Not Going to Miss My Shot, where people showing after they get their vaccination, sending out playful, fun videos, creating a social norm that this is a good thing to do, it's a smart thing to do, it's even kind of a cool thing to do. So the social media thing is very important. But then, frankly, there's nothing like having doctors feel like it's their job to talk to their patients and convince them. And I think that most of the doctors I know, if patients say they don't want a flu shot, you know, we kind of say, okay. But on this particular topic, I think most of the physicians I know are really working on their patients to get them over the edge to do it. So once we get past that challenge, you also say in your article that organizations are going to have to manage the demand for vaccines and they're going to have to immunize people who are ready to be vaccinated. Do individual organizations have the kind of technology and patient information that they're going to need to make that happen? Well, I would say that in a pass-fail system, we probably would be passing, but I wouldn't say anyone would give many organizations an A for how things are going. Aside from the fact that getting information out is complex enough, there is the considerable logistical challenges of managing the flow of patients and having them come in and in a COVID-safe work process, get their vaccine, get observed afterwards, and so on. I think organizations are doing reasonably well at figuring out how to do that. Some of the, the tough lessons that are being learned on the fly are things like the second dose of these vaccines cause a lot of side effects. Not serious life-threatening side effects, but enough to knock you out of commission for several hours like during the next day. I know at the hospital where I work, the Brigham Women's Hospital, where my oldest daughter and son-in-law are trainees, they say that most of their colleagues missed several hours of work after the second dose. Now, some organizations anticipated this, like Geisinger Health System, as we mentioned in the perspective piece, and they staggered the scheduling so that not all of the physical therapists, for example, would get their vaccines on the same day, not all of the house staffs on one service. So there are plenty of lessons to learn about how to do it. I think that one of the things that I think maybe a lesson we take away is the complexity of the systems that we come up with to be as fair as possible and to try to be as targeted as possible and high risk. The complexity can work against us. And that just saying anyone over 75 can come in now, first come, first serve, that might have led to less wasted vaccine and faster use of the vaccine we have available than some of the more complex systems that have been used. So you talk in your article about the importance of regional coordination with government and other institutions, including in setting up the vaccination sites and facilitating the information flow that you've talked about. 
So who is taking responsibility for that type of coordination? Well, in the United States, it has not been a federal-driven program under the previous presidential administration. It, it was basically left up to the states, and the states often they varied tremendously in their effectiveness, and often it was county by county in how it would work. But it really makes a difference. If you look around the world, places like Israel is the poster child. They have very good integration. It's something beyond cooperation and collaboration. It's integration of their public health system and their provider system. So it was very straightforward for them to know who met the criteria for being vaccinated next and communicating with those folks by email and getting them into, you will go to this location and get your vaccine. And they had very, very rapid rollout, limited only by supply. That kind of flow of information exists in some parts of the country, like Intermountain helped put it together in Salt Lake City so that all the information was shared among the providers in the state government. They're not the only place in the country that did it, but there are plenty of places where there isn't that kind of information flow. I think that one of the things we've learned for next time is we have to put together systems where there is much better collaboration and cooperation and integration between the public health system and its components, and most notably the providers. So finally, going back to something that you talked about at the beginning of our conversation, what can the federal government or the state governments do to help healthcare organizations prevent the inequities in patient outreach and vaccine delivery that we see based on race and other factors? I think that they need more than good intentions. That's very clear. And I think that right now, I know the federal government's frustrated because they can't even get data on the racial distribution of who has received the vaccine thus far. I think that the big point I would make is that government can't do this alone. Government has to work with the providers to get at the equity issue because the providers, they're not all in the regions where minorities are the biggest population groups, but they are there. So that having vaccines distributed by community health centers that are out there in the communities that are otherwise underserved, that is a critical step. So those providers can have the trust of their constituents and they can get it done. So that's one of the lessons learned overseas as well. Like in the Netherlands, which ordinarily has a wonderful balance of competition and solidarity, this time around, vaccination has not gone well. And people say it's because the government just tried to do it by themselves. Private entities competing with each other to get things done, that does add vitality to our healthcare system. Thank you, Dr. Lee.